Hey everybody, this is the Church in a Brewery podcast. This is episode six. I'm sitting here with Jason Moyer tonight. We're actually getting ready for our official Church in a Brewery launch in Wichita. So uh, how do you feel about that, Jason? Looking forward to it. It's been a lot of planning and planning and planning, and it's finally a relief to have have it finally come to fruition and, and uh, see how it's going to go. I mean, we started seriously working on it about six or seven months ago, but I mean, we've been talking about this for at least a year. Yeah, yeah at least a year. Yeah, so what we're going to do is starting March 23rd, 2020, we'll be meeting at Augustino Brewing. It's at Central and Tyler in Wichita at 7.30 p.m. So every Monday night after March 23rd, we'll be there and we'll do like a 15 to 20 minute topic introduction. And then we'll pretty much pass it to you. So everybody will be hanging out at tables, having a craft beer, and I'll give you three or four questions about the topic and you guys just get to discuss it and unpack it with your friends. So should be pretty cool. And then we'll do like a kind of five minute conclusion. I might highlight like if somebody made a really cool point or asked a really deep thought-provoking question, I'll bring that up. But uh, we call it church in a brewery. We really debated whether or not we should call it uh, church or not because it's what church is at its core. But we feel like when you say church, there's kind of an idea in your head of what that is. This isn't really a service. It's an interactive discussion group of people who want to unpack spiritual questions. It's really for people who have doubts, um, have questions. Maybe maybe you're new to this. Maybe you've never looked at the Bible before. It really doesn't matter. Uh, anybody's welcome to go. I know for several weeks, at least I was trying to find another word other than church, and it just wasn't happening. I'd Church is the only thing that really kind of made sense uh, for what we're actually doing. And, you know, wherever two or three are gathered, that can be considered church. So I think that it came out to be an appropriate word, and we'll go with it. Yeah. Well, we're pretty excited about that. So if you if you want to discuss stuff with us in person, come out on March 23rd or any Monday night after that. All right. Well, I guess I'll introduce tonight's topic. We're discussing the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. So the first book, the Bible. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about like the creation of man, the creation of the universe, you know, Noah's flood, things like that. And so we're going to be discussing, are these stories literal? Are they historical accounts? Are they mythical? Or are they symbolic? So we're going to try to talk about each story, like bring up some significant stories and say, is there some symbolism here or is this all literal? And then we'll move on to another story and just kind of see where it goes. So the first story we're going to take a look at is actually Genesis 1 and 2. It is the creation story. These two chapters tell us that God created the universe, everything in it, and man and woman. What do you know about that story, Jason? What do I know about that story? Well, I I know that that story could be, um, there's a lot of literal things that happen in that story. There's a lot of symbolic things that happen in that story. And we know that it's the account of how our earth was came to be and how the heavens and the earth and all people and how everything came to be on this earth. Yeah, and there's there's really a lot of different views on this. So some people believe that the entire creation story is literal, like it happened exactly as it was written. And we'll dive into what that means. Six literal days. Mm -hmm. So Genesis chapter one says, 
It says that God created the world in a day and the heavens in a day and all the animals in a day and things like that. So this book was originally written in Hebrew and the word day has at least two definitions. So we'll get into that and you kind of have to look at the context and weigh some of the evidence and the surrounding uh, writing to figure out which definition are they using here. So there is actually kind of a a big debate over this topic. Was the world and the universe created in a single day, or do these days represent periods of time? So if you were to take it in its most literal form and go through the Bible and through all of its generations, that would put the earth at about 6,000 years old is the current estimate, using every generation that's listed throughout the Bible from Adam up until current time. That's counting the generations listed in the Bible, right? Correct. Counting the generations listed in the Bible, it would be 6,000 years, approximate. So one, one theory, one group of scholars believes that the earth is about 6,000 years old. So they would believe that the universe is only one day older than the earth. So it'd be like 6,000 years plus a day. Plus a day. If okay. you were to take it that literally, yes. Okay. Now, Um, There's also a debate on whether or not you can count the generations backwards to get to 6,000 years for the age of the earth accurately. There are genealogies listed in the Bible that list, you know, Adam and Eve, the first humans were told in the Bible, and then their descendants and their descendants all the way on down. And some scholars have counted backwards these generations to estimate that. 6,000-year-old earth. Now, I do want to mention that there is a debate over whether or not you can count the generations backwards and come up with an accurate age of the earth. Um, One of the reasons for that is because in the original language, the word father actually can also mean grandfather, great-grandfather, or distant ancestor. So this side argues that, hey, there could be a bunch more names here. They also think that, you know, there's only notable names here. And if some guy didn't do anything significant with his life, he might not make that list. And there are actually places in the Bible where it lists someone as someone's father, but it's really meaning grandfather. And it all has to do with what the original language meant. So that's an interesting point. And if you investigate that, it could change how you view the age of the earth. So at this point, we should probably get into the definition of the word day. And I got out a keyword study Bible, which tells you the original Hebrew word and their definitions. So I looked up the word day, which appears in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, And God called the light day, and there was morning one day. So the word day there is makros. I don't know how to say it for sure, but It means, in its original language, long, in place or time, distant, far. It's also used to describe the time between sunup and sundown, and it's also used at times to refer to a 24-hour period. So scholars look at this word in the definition, and they've really kind of come up with two different interpretations. So there's two camps. One is looking at it like that word day means a literal 24-hour period, and the other interprets the word day as an age or a long period of time. It's undefined. Maybe the word era is a good descriptor. So if it were an era, 
that would technically could possibly put us in the seventh day currently. We are in the time of God's rest. He is not creating anything currently. And so he is currently resting is is one theory that's been put out if you were to use the era. Right. And by by rest, we mean like he's not asleep or like absent right now. He's just not creating anything right now. Correct. Okay, that's cool. The earth is, I mean, the universe is expanding and so... He's already sent that into motion. Some scientists who believe the Bible, they look at that definition of the word day as an era. All the ways we've been able to measure the age of the earth through science, and there's a number of them, point to the earth being about 4.5 billion years old. So some of the Christian scientists who uh, have studied the earth and studied the Bible they believe that those two things fit together. The definition of the word day not being a literal day, but being a long period of time, and then the earth being 4.5 billion years old. They believe that the Bible is saying the same thing as science about the origin of the world. In that case, it would be the word day would be symbolic of a period of time. And we know that the book of Genesis is full of symbols. There are many symbolic words in the book of Genesis. For example, the tree of life would be a, a possible symbol. And that just is for those who have chosen to receive the word of God. They have chosen the tree of life. There are many, many examples like that. What examples do you like to point to as symbolism Me? in the book of Genesis? Mm-hmm. Ooh, man, that's tough. I, I I personally hold the position that the word day is symbolic of an era. If we go and try and measure our world with science, like if God created the universe, it should just reflect what he did and uncover that. So I don't see a problem with using the word day as an era. And part of the reason that I believe that is because I went to Genesis chapter 2, and in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, there's a verse that uh, uses the word day to refer to like all seven days of creation. And that kind of blew my mind the first time I saw that. And I'd never noticed it before. So that same author is very obviously using the word day to not mean a literal day in that case. He's using the word day to refer to all seven days of creation. I double-checked it too, and the word in Hebrew for day is the same one that's used in Genesis chapter 1. It is that word makros. And the way it's written, if you try to use a literal definition of the word day, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. In the previous verse, the writer has just gone through all seven days of creation and was wrapping up day seven. And then he says, this is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And then all of a sudden in the next sentence, the writer starts talking about day six where man was made. So that use of that same word does seem like it's a summary of all seven days of creation. It's an era or at minimum a week. If we interpret that use of the word day literally, then it just kind of doesn't fit. It seems like a random sentence that's just been thrown in there I found it interesting that I was reading an ESV translation, and I went to look it up in some other translations, like NIV. It's not there. They've paraphrased that verse. So I didn't blame anyone for missing that. I wondered why I'd never spotted that before. Well, it kind of depends on which version 
which translation you're using. But the ESV is a, a very literal translation, so it's pretty accurate. So it's the same word that they use in Genesis chapter 1. That gives me a clue that maybe they're not, you know, talking about seven literal days. So I've, I view that as symbolism. Now, on the contrary, I think that God is more than capable of creating the world in seven literal days. So if that turns out to be the case and I'm wrong, I have no problem with that because to me, both views, the message is not lost. It's true that God created the universe and everything in it and very in intentionally in both of those different views. I too believe I lean towards the idea that a day would be an era and that the earth is older than 6,000 years. And I look at it as a more of looking at a logical thing from what I see around me, what I see of the earth. One thing that kind of makes me think about it is when I look at the globe and I see evidence for Pangaea where, you know, you can see that the continents fit into each other, how islands broke off, that sort of thing. And what I know of today and with my experience, it would take a very long time for those kind of things to break apart, logically speaking. That doesn't really mean anything. That doesn't mean that God couldn't have separated that stuff in, you know, 30 literal seconds, however he wanted to do that. But, you know, that's the interesting thing about this is in that context, it doesn't really matter. We've made such a big deal of it, and it has become such a controversial thing that uh, we need to not let that kind of stuff separate us as believers, um, things like this. But it is interesting to talk about regardless. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because just because we think that the earth was made in you know a long period of time and not a literal day doesn't mean that we believe that god made humans through evolution evolution you know as as we understand it through science says that it's just completely random and we think that god created man like specifically and he made humans because well he loves us and and he very intentionally did that we're not like an accident so it's not that we look at science and we accept that over the Bible. We think if we're interpreting the scientific data accurately, it should match what the Bible says. There is a third view that Genesis is mythology. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? If Genesis were mythology, then um, it would be completely false. Would right. you not agree with that? I mean, a myth is, by its definition, going to be something that's false. Mm -hmm. And so... My thought is, is if Genesis is false, does that take away from the credibility of the Bible as a whole? Oh yeah, if it's false, I think so. I, I think if it's symbolism, nothing changes. The truth about the creation story is the same, whether it's written as symbolism or literally. But if Genesis 1 is mythology, you know, that changes things. Like this whole book to me has to be true because if it's got false things in it, then there's a problem that undermines the credibility of the whole Bible. I, I agree with you on that. I think it really kind of just shuts the whole thing down. If the creation story is a myth, then we're just kind of spinning our wheels here. But if it is uh, symbolic in some spots and literal in some spots, then, you know, there's room for, for this discussion right, as we right. feel that the Bible is, is true in its entirety. Mm-hmm. I could see how some people get confused because I know some people who only know about the the literal translation of the word day. And like, I know a guy who went through 
college as a geologist and he was studying rocks and stuff and he was looking at these rocks and you know the Grand Canyon and stuff and he was saying there's no way that this stuff is only 6,000 years old and he was a Christian like he believed the Genesis story but he couldn't reconcile it and he also didn't know that some Christian scientists believe actually 40% of Christians believe the earth is what science tells us 4.5 billion years old so they, they would probably believe that the word day when god created the earth in a day that means an era a long period of time there's probably about 60 percent of christians believe or so i'm told through barna group they believe that the earth is literally or the universe is literally made in six days and then it the earth is six thousand years old so christianity is kind of split in two between these two views now if you only know that there's a case for the 6,000-year-old earth, and you're, you're studying science or something, I can see how people will get really confused and start to think that the Bible's false. But my point is that there might be a way that these things go together, mm-hmm. and I don't think that these are essential either, essential views that like you have to believe one side or the other. I, I think I could just misunderstand the data, and God did make it in literally seven days. But just be aware, there's multiple views and there's cases for both. And that's one of the interesting things that makes, you know, that's interesting about Christianity is that there is this room for discussion. And if we can do it lovingly and know what's essential and know what's not, this is kind of a fun topic. Yeah, I get really excited about this stuff, particularly, you know, science and things like that. So let's talk about how it says that God created man from dirt, and then woman came from one of the man's ribs. What do you think about that? Is that realistic or symbolic? Man, I don't know. I mean, if you're looking at like DNA, God reused a lot of DNA code for other animals and things, you know? So I don't know. If, if God told us literally how he made man or made woman, it wouldn't have made any sense to them at all. Like they had zero scientific understanding. So I don't know. Maybe he did. I mean, he can do anything. If he can make a universe out of nothing, he can pull a rib out of a man and make a woman. He could also have done it some other way that was too complicated to explain. This whole story was told verbally for hundreds of years before it was written down. So nobody's going to be able to memorize and recite and pass down a scientific manual. Like God's trying to tell us where we came from, and what our relationship is to him. And so maybe he simplified it to give us these symbols. I really don't know. And I think it's okay to not know. Mm-hmm. Like just the main point is God made us, cares about us. When I was a kid, I had read this story and uh, I used to think, well, then men should have one less rib than women should have. <laughs> and I had to think about that and think about that. And I did some research on it and a couple of really interesting things. Obviously, it didn't change Adam's DNA. If God took one of his ribs, he would have just had one less rib and all of the other men behind him would have the normal amount. So that made sense. But I did a little bit of research into ribs and and I was finding out that they actually can regrow. And that's the one human bone that can regrow itself. And so who knows, over time, maybe Adam had the correct number of ribs. I, I don't know. Whoa. Oh, that's cool. There's no other bone that can regrow? I don't want to say 100%. I'm not 100% positive on that, but that was just something that I had read and uh, would have to ask some uh, 
people who know about the human body a little better than me, if that's, it's really true. But I thought that was kind of interesting that that is even a possibility. Our ribs have lizard DNA. It's like you <laughs> cut their tail off and grows back. <laughs> All right. What do you think about the origin of man? Man from dust. Do you think that was literal or symbolic? That's also one of the ones that I'm just not sure exactly how God did that. I, I'm, I'm just really not sure. In Genesis, it talks about God actually walking around. And so if he was as a, as a person, and personally, I think that was probably Jesus, you know, in that form. But regardless, if he were like a man, he could pick up some dirt and move it around. And then voila, you got a human. So I have no idea how he actually did that. But we do know that when we die, we basically turn to dust. We turn to into the earth. Mm-hmm. So we really, really are made up of the earth. We are made of dust. So it kind of does make sense how he did it. I'm not sure, but we literally are made of it. Yeah. I've kind of held the position that maybe God did make man literally from dust. Part of the reason I've held that theory is have you, if you've looked at the fossil record, it's really interesting. There's not a whole lot of variety for like hundreds of thousands of years. And then all of a sudden, here's the Cambrian explosion and everything accelerates. Well, my point with that is uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, things picked up really fast, probably too fast for evolution to have actually taken place without some kind of intelligent force behind it. And the fact that all these other species just like, bam, show up, that made me think that kind of looks like God intervening, right? Like there's a limited amount of species and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, here's man. Now evolution talks about like a monkey evolving into a man. It would have had to happen in a pretty quick period of time. And one thing I discovered when I was looking into the progression from a, from a monkey to a man was that those fossils were not actually arranged in order. Like they found DNA of one of the models that they thought was one of the, the newer, like closer to human uh, skeletons. They found some DNA. It was like frozen in a cave underground and they dated it. And it was actually one of the older species. So it threw off the entire progression from monkey to man as we know it. Like it looks like you can arrange it from a monkey to a man, but then when you actually start looking in the data, there's actually gaps, and some of those things are out of order. Now, I heard about that on a podcast called Science News Flash. I thought that was interesting. But even then, like this happened probably too quickly for evolution, for random changes. I should say, evolution as we know it, being random changes, could not take a monkey to a man that quickly. But if you've got some intelligent force behind it, you know, it's possible. But I always looked at it like man just shows up. So it looked to me like on that sixth day, there's been a bunch of animals here for a long time and like God reaches down again and makes man. That's the way I took it. Hmm. Some people look at it like God could have used evolution you know, created dust and, you know, it, it actually evolved through all these animals and, and they're in our ancestry up until human. I don't know that I would necessarily have a, have a problem with that if we completely changed our definition of evolution. Because if that's the case, then evolution is not random changes, it's guided by God. Mm-hmm. And that would change our understanding of what evolution is. Because evolution, as we understand it today, is like, you know, God's not part of the equation. 
So people who believe in God and evolution say that, you know, God just sat back and watched the dominoes fall. Hmm. I don't think that that is what, what the Bible's saying, but there could be room for that view with some adjustments. That might be a controversial thing to say, but <laughs> it's like, I could see how these things would work. It would just change our understanding of evolution. It wouldn't necessarily change much about our understanding of God. What do you think? No, I, I agree with you. I, I do not want to put God in a box ever. Uh-huh. By that, I mean, I don't want to say what he can or can't or did or didn't do. And that's what makes this topic kind of interesting is if, if we can all agree that it's, that it's okay to not know the answers to these things, then wow, that's, that's a pretty fun topic. But if we have to know the answer to every little thing, then we're just going to argue and fight about every little thing. Yeah. Well, in reality, a lot of these different views agree on the, the big picture, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe not the one that feels like God wasn't involved in creating man or something like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, a lot of these different views, we, we agree on the main point. Like God made our world, made us, and was intentional about it, and it had a purpose. And, you know, one interesting part about this is we've been talking about this for close to 30 minutes now, 20-something minutes, and, uh, and we've only covered the creation story. Yeah. In you want to take a look at some more? Sure, go ahead. Okay, so the second one we've got uh, written out here is the Garden of Eden. So Genesis chapter 2 describes the Garden of Eden. Do you think that was a literal place or a symbolic place or a mythical place? Hmm. I've heard some people say that it was totally a a symbolic place and that there is a Garden of Eden, Eden, and that is in heaven right now. That is God's heaven Hmm. where he is. and. I don't know. It seems that that could have been a real literal place. It sounds like it was on earth. And like we've discussed before, not on this podcast, but you and I have discussed that the Bible does give a location for it on earth. Yeah, a very specific location. So this is one of my pieces of evidence for thinking that Garden of Eden was a literal place. Uh, Genesis 2 verses 10 through 14 say, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. I like gold. (laughs) And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, which is a real country. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. So today we know where the Tigris and the Euphrates River are. We know where Assyria and Cush were, and I don't know that we've... We have not found all four rivers. Now, there's a number of reasons. Maybe the names just got lost over time. Uh, if there was a flood, uh, you know, a, a localized flood or a worldwide flood, then some of those rivers might have moved, might mm-hmm. not be there. But my point is, there is such a specific location here that this is written like history. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't... Greek myths about fake stuff were not written like this. You know, where, where does Zeus live? Like, they didn't give <laughs> you his address like this. So to me, this looks like, a, like something that must have been literal. It, it does feel literal to me as well. It would be a place that I'd sure like to, to visit sometime if it were a literal place. It's very, very interesting, and I love the... The description of it and it just is such a tropical beautiful sounding place who knows what it was really like but with gold let's go hunt some gold <laughs> man okay 
So we've decided Eden is probably a literal place. What about the trees in the Garden of Eden? Because there are two trees mentioned in the chapter, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. So if you don't know the story, what do you, what do you know about the tree of life? The tree of life, and I'd kind of mentioned this earlier, if it were a symbolic kind of thing, it's it's been written that if it were symbolic, it would be that those are of men and women who have chosen to receive the word of God, and they have received the tree of life. Okay, so it's, it's kind of like people who pursue a relationship with God, they represent the tree of life mm-hmm. because they have life. Because if God is the source of life, then if you have a relationship with him, then you have life. So that's symbolic yep. of the tree of life. And then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would almost be the opposite of that. And it would be those people who have seen good but have chosen the evil. They've chosen knowledge, but unfortunately, they've also chosen evil. And so that tree could be very symbolic in that way. Okay. So at this part in the story, it gets really wild and trippy. So put on your 60s music and listen to this. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and a serpent speaks to Eve, right? So a snake. Talking Mm -hmm. snake. Really weird, right? So talking snake. Literal, uh, symbolic, mythical. I don't blame people for thinking this is mythical. We're talking about a talking snake, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to go the symbolic route of that, then the serpent would be um, representative or symbolic of Satan, a spiritual ruler of, of darkness. So is there room for these trees and for the serpent to be both symbolic and literal? Yeah. I mean, we don't necessarily see anything like that today. But then again, we're talking about a different kind of environment because the, the Garden of Eden was a paradise where God was dwelling there with man, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess we don't know what a world like that would even be like. There's really not enough information for me to decide if the trees are literal or not, mm-hmm. or even the serpent. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I definitely agree, uh, Satan or evil tempted Eve in, mm-hmm. in this story to eat of the tree of knowledge. So they were told by God, don't eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eat from any other tree, anything else in the garden, it's yours. But this one tree, don't eat from this tree. And they did, right? Mm-hmm. So Eve was very obviously tempted, whether or not it was a literal serpent. I don't know if there's enough information. Whether or not the tree is literal, I, I feel like there's not enough. There's, there's not something like super specific, like, like the Garden of Eden's location description. So I just don't know. If it wasn't a literal tree, what did she eat? Yeah. I mean, maybe... Or what did she do that m- gave her this knowledge if it wasn't a literal tree? Maybe it's not necessarily about eating. It's symbolic of consuming something. Mm-hmm. Like once you become aware, like Jason, did you ever go out and like shoot up heroin or anything like that? Um, no, I, <laughs> I haven't. Kidding. I haven't done that. Well, when you grew up, I mean, <laughs> did you kind of live in like a little bubble when you were like a little, little kid? And then did you have like a shocking experience? Like I'm trying to think of my first R-rated movie, you know, I mean, that shocked me and opened me up to a whole nother world. <laughs> And then you're in that world and you can't, you can't unsee something that you've seen that like shocked you. I think I saw like Monty Python, the life of Brian or (laughs) Monty Python, the meaning of life when I was like 12. I mean, (laughs) that was like a whole new world that once you have that knowledge, you can't really erase it from your brain. You know, that exists in the world. So Hmm. did you have an experience like that? 
Hmm, I'm trying to think if I had anything like that. Um, I remember the first time I had a friend who just always wanted to to be in the drug scene and he wanted to to do drop acid, as they say. And I'll never forget when he brought his uh, foil-covered sugar cube into math class and showed it to me, and this is acid. Ooh, okay. And, and I don't know, it was just kind of a weird experience that, you know, and then I saw him do that right in the middle of class, take his little sugar cube of acid. And I just thought that, I don't know, that just opened up a reality that, wow, these things really do exist and people really are doing these things. <laughs> doing acid at school. <laughs> yeah. That's gutsy. <laughs> well, if it's just in a sugar cube, it dissolves. Nobody knew it was there, right? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I guess that was kind of my silly little thing. that I recognize such a thing. Yeah, even when you're a kid and you see the world as like a, a good place or a nice place and you find out that actually a lot of bad stuff happens. I mean, that's kind of a, a drastic change and you become suddenly aware that the world isn't as comfortable of a place or as safe as a place as you thought it was, like bad things happen. Mm -hmm. I could see this symbolizing some kind of change like that. But in this case, I believe what you found... We're, we're looking at a, an article from Agape Geek. It's a website. It's a blog. I believe the website is agapegeek.com. So that's A-G-A-P-E-G-E-E-K.com. And the blog we were looking at is Understanding the Symbolic Nature of Genesis. And on the Tree of Knowledge, they described uh, if it's symbolism, they believe it's men who have seen good but choose evil. So you become aware of both, and you know what good is, but you choose to do something else instead. Like, you know you should do one thing, but then decide to do something else. That makes sense to me. That seems like a reasonable definition. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And because I don't know what she ate or what she did, it does seem, she being Eve, it does seem legitimate to me that these could be both literal and symbolic mm -hmm. at, the, at the same time. And there are, are many things throughout the book of Genesis that can be considered both things. Yeah. Yeah, we should point out that in the story, Eve gives the fruit to man and they both eat it. So like, it's not just on the woman, like they both did this, right? They both did it, yeah. I had a really fascinating thought. I was trying to figure out like, was the tree literal? Um, why a tree and all this stuff? And if it's symbolism, why tell the story? Like, why not just say what they did? If mm -hmm. this represents like some act that they did, that wasn't just eating from this tree. Like, let's say, let's say they did something like they they lied, which they'll do after this, by the way. Um, <laughs> or what if they stole something or they killed someone? Why why not just say that? And I think if you're telling a story and you use something to symbolize all evil acts, no one can can look at that and be like, well, I'm just not going to do the bad thing that Adam and Eve did, and I'm okay. Mm. It, it describes and encompasses all evil acts i thought that'd be that was an interesting way to look at it it is i yeah so it i don't know it can be both see we we do that though because like we see somebody like somebody kills somebody and we say i'm a good person i haven't killed anyone but i actually <laughs> do all this other stuff that's not necessarily good or healthy right you mean there's not uh degrees of sin <laughs> hmm, man i don't know some are not worse than others i i think we're all in the same boat because like we're all we're all flawed. Yes. So there's that, you know. We like to think there's degrees of sin, but like we're all 
We all make mistakes. And if we go by what the Bible says, there are no different degrees of sin. Yeah, I, I prefer to look at it that way because then we are all in the same boat together. Exactly, exactly. But that's cool, though, because that means that somebody who's really messed up, they're still in the same boat with us. Like, there's always more chances. Mm-hmm. That's right. One thing that I find really interesting, whether you believe in evolution or you believe God created the universe, either way... You're looking for a miraculous explanation for life. People have tried to calculate, you know, based on mutation rates and and other things, how long it would take for man to evolve from that first cell, a first single cell. And it would actually take a whole lot longer than the earth has been here. And in fact, not only that, but life coming into existence from non-life is a miracle. And there were all these extinction events and things that would have really disrupted the evolution of life, like, you know, ice ages and, and things impacting the earth that would have made it very difficult for that single cell to evolve all the way to man. There's not enough time for evolution to take place. So if, if you're looking for a way that life could have began naturally or man could have gotten here naturally, you're looking for a miracle, even if you're trying to find it through nature. But if you're looking at it like God created the universe and created man, you're also looking at a miracle. You're also looking at a, an amazing event that's only happened once, you know? So what's interesting, I think, about that is that puts us in the same boat as people who are looking for a natural explanation for life and for man being here and people who are looking for a solution that involves God making everything, we're all looking for a supernatural, miraculous explanation. So I think that's kind of cool. Never thought about that. What if one thing went wrong (laughs) while this cell was multiplying and and replicating, and one thing went wrong and it got smashed by (laughs) something, then we got to start all over again. Oh, well, yeah, there's a million things that could have gone wrong because... (laughs) For one, like a a food source has to be there. That first cell has like very, very, very little time before it dies. It has to figure out how to reproduce in that time. So not only is the creation of the first cell a miracle, but it figuring out how to replicate itself before it dies is a miracle. Then it's got to be protected so that it, you know, doesn't get smashed, doesn't, you know, something doesn't happen because they think that like the environment that this cell was born in was probably not super safe. Earth was a hazardous place at that point in time. So man being made from dust by God is almost, if not just as logical as that. Yeah, if the math doesn't support evolution very well, then we're kind of in the same boat. I mean, I've looked up the numbers and it's really, really interesting, but there's all kinds of crazy stuff. Like if the moon was in a slightly different position, then that first cell would would die. The ingredients wouldn't be right for Earth to support life. It's not as simple as just finding a planet that can support life. There's much more to it than that. All right, how about we look at the Great Flood? Literal, mythical, or symbolic? So we're going to look at Genesis chapters 6 and 7, where there's a Great Flood. You've probably heard the story about Noah's Ark and... Earth becoming, humanity becoming so corrupt that that God sent a flood to kind of restart humanity, but he saves this family and animals and puts them on this ark. And then the question that we have here is, is this a literal, symbolic, or mythical story? Now, this one is interesting because 
Many religions have a flood story. So a lot of people look at this like it's mythical. Like if you've seen that movie Noah, it's not exactly about the biblical story of Noah's Ark. It incorporates mythology from a bunch of different religions to try to tell that flood story. So that's interesting. There's different versions of this story, and some are viewed as mythology. But what's this one in the Bible? Is this literal or is this symbolic or mythology? I would kind of lean towards it being a literal thing, but I do also believe that there's room in there that it could have been uh, a localized flood. I mean, when I say localized, you know, several hundred miles or thousand miles or, or whatever, the author um, may have not known any area beyond this. Mm -hmm. So it could have just been localized. Could it have been the entire earth? I, I suppose it probably mm -hmm. could. I mean, that's really not a problem for God to do if he wanted to do that. It could be the entire earth, or it could just be one area. But regardless, I think that there was a literal flood. Yeah, I've heard both the theory that it's a flood that covered the entire earth, and that it was just a localized flood. Now, local could mean like the entire Middle East. Exactly. Or at that point, I don't know that humanity had spread across the globe yet. I mean, they hadn't. So... It could affect the entire world of man without covering the entire globe. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Now, the key word is world. So it depends on how they translate that word in Hebrew. In some places in the Bible, the word world is actually, in Hebrew, world of man. So that mm. is interesting. I don't know exactly which definition they're using there, like planet, entire planet, or a world of man. And this is one where it just depends on how literal your translation is, so on and so forth. I mean, in the NLT, which we know is not an exact translation, but it's, it's close. It says, after seven days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. Mm -hmm. And so if I had a flood in my front yard that covered the earth in my front yard, so I, I don't know how much of the earth was covered. If it was all, it, it's just hard to tell. Yeah, or, or is it like the point of view of the author, everything that you can see, you know? Because mm -hmm. if all, all directions, all you see is water, then the way you're looking at it and your perception, it's covered the entire earth. Exactly. So I don't necessarily know the answer to that. I do think it probably took out most of civilization and God saved this one family. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to know if they can confirm that through DNA studies, because they can track genealogies. It would also be interesting to see how a flood of that nature and magnitude would have shaped the area. Yeah, yeah. As it was receding, and where was it receding to? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's part of the beef that people have with the it covered the entire world view, is because some people say, yeah, there's evidence of a massive flood, but then others say, there's not evidence that there was a flood so big that it uncovered the entire globe. Mm -hmm. So that's that's interesting. Where would that water have gone when it was receding if it covered the entire Earth? Would it have just evaporated that quickly? But if it evaporated, it'll come back through the rain cycle, right. water cycle. So I don't know that that makes a whole lot of sense, but right. I'm, I'm not sure. It has to move somewhere else, probably. Because mm -hmm. it's... It's a system. It's not it's not losing much, if any, right? Right. Basically recycling itself. Recycling itself, yes. Yeah, so Which I'm... was hinted to in Genesis chapter one. Super <laughs> interesting. So I'm not really sure how that would work if it were indeed the entire earth. But 
again, I'm not going to limit what God can do. Right, right. Well, and again, the main point is intact, whether or not it's literal or symbolic. The main point remains intact. I, I do think Noah was a real person. I mm -hmm. mean, his lineage is included in the Bible and his kids and all this. I mean, it talks about him like a historical person. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's much room for him to be a symbol. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, his kids basically repopulated the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know how you would solve the localized or worldwide flood problem without you know looking into original language and science and all those things. You can still get the main point of this either way. But in some of the other chapters, it becomes clear when you try to read either the context of the surrounding chapters or you... If you know the larger story of the Bible and you can use that to help you frame the context of a, a story, that can help you solve some of these conundrums. What about the Tower of Babel story? What do you think about that? Is it realistic? First, we should tell our listeners what the story is. So in this story, man was trying to make this massive tower, right? Civilization was still kind of all in one place. They hadn't really spread out much yet. And they were trying to build this huge tower, uh, and it says, into the heavens, right? Well, when I was a kid, I didn't quite understand what that meant. And I literally thought they were trying to build a stairway to heaven so that they could go to heaven without dying. <laughs> and uh, like God would be up there like, what are you doing? How did you break into heaven? You know, <laughs> like I seriously thought that was what that was. So it was like, Led Zeppelin come to life. <laughs> they may have been thinking that. Who knows? Yeah. But in the story... These people are getting together to build this tower, and God is wondering, why are you guys doing this? And he makes them all speak different languages so they can't understand each other, and they spread out. They can no longer build their giant tower, their giant stairway to heaven. Hmm. I, I don't know. I can, I've always pictured that as being literal. I have no idea how tall the tower was or how high, far they got. But I can imagine it being a, a literal story. I do know there is a place in, in the Middle East where it is supposed that this site was. And I've had friends that have visited that site who have been to it. So, Oh, literally? They have been to it, yes. I have a friend who's been to the site where it was supposed that the Tower of Babel was, was formed. What's there? Hmm, I am not sure what's there right now. I believe it's field of some sort, but I'm not sure. Are there like stone remains and stuff? <laughs> I Ruins? don't know. I'm not okay. sure. But again, I really think, you know, that God could have definitely done that. I mean, how it would kind of make sense with as many languages as are on the earth that languages could have started in that sort of way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. If God did this, if God really was upset about this and split people up, made them go separate ways, why? Why do you think he was upset? Because it probably wasn't what I thought it was as a kid. People trying to break into heaven, build a one billion foot long ladder. So why would God be upset by their actions is yeah. your question. Does he not like us building big buildings? <laughs> I think it makes more sense if we figure out what it means. Because on the surface, it sounds similar to Greek mythology. There's an answer to this, but I don't... I think that God was upset because man was focused on what man can do in making man great. Build this huge building to show what man can do. Like, I mean, there's things now today where, where we get really fascinated with technology 
not that it's bad or anything, but we start to think that we can do anything and we're like invincible. But in reality, like we could die at any second, you know? So I sort of kind of think the, the issue here might've been ego Mm -hmm. or they forgot about God because they invented electricity, you know, you know, I mean, obviously it wasn't electricity, but they started to make these big buildings and they forgot about God and God decided to disrupt that because he had a mission and I think people were getting sidetracked. His mission at this point in time was to get the world ready to bring Jesus into the world and give us that message about Jesus, like to tell the world that he loves the world. Mm -hmm. And if man gets distracted and starts doing his own thing, then it makes it harder for God to do that. I mean, it he is, can do anything, but he wanted to get them back on track. That's it is my really interesting what the Bible says about God's response here. And this is the NLT translation in Genesis 11. And I will start at verse 4 of chapter 11 and said, Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. Very interesting. Do you think God's saying like success is bad? <laughs> Tripped you up with that question, didn't I? You did. Do you, you think God doesn't want us to succeed at things that we do? Or was there something wrong with this task? Um, that's kind of interesting. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. I mean, could it be that God was just ready for them to move out of the area and actually scatter the people all over the earth? Yeah. It could be. It's a big world out there. It is. Maybe they got too comfortable and he wanted them to explore, go on an adventure. <laughs> they kicked him out. I see a little bit of vanity in there, like, mm-hmm. because it says, we're going to be famous. Like, I remember feeling that way, like when I made my first band and stuff, and uh, that didn't get me very far. <laughs> and you were humbled, right? <laughs> yeah, I wasted a lot of time trying to <laughs> trying to become a rock star when maybe there were more important things to do, like, you know make some friends and care about people. (laughs) So I I could see why God might do that. We settled on literal for that one, didn't we? I would say it's probably more in the literal area. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. How do we know? I don't know that we can know. I mean, we can hypothesize about it all day or fantasize or whatever about it, but I don't know that we can really know if that truly happened or not. But the people did scatter. There are people all over the earth. So if, yeah. if that's how God decided to move the people on, he could have mixed up their languages, whether they were building a tower. I don't know. I, I would assume that, that that's true. Well, and, and your buddy went to the site that they think was the tower. So there's a piece of evidence. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the reason I asked that question is because Genesis, to me, is a little bit harder to figure out if it's literal, symbolic, uh, or not. Because some of the other books of the Bible read as history or more as history with more facts and locations and places than Genesis does. Genesis has, to me, a few more stories that make it challenging to figure out if it's symbolism or not, whereas some other chapters are are more clear. Like Chronicles, there's this huge long list of kings and their ancestors and stuff. Like that's pretty obviously literal. Nobody's going to write a fictional story 
and put that because nobody's going to want to read it, right? It's too boring, <laughs> right? So that reads as history. But one thing that I want to point out before we wrap up is that just because we think something is symbolism, like the days of creation or something, mm-hmm. just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that it's automatically symbolism. Or or if you're wrestling with this stuff, just because it's hard to make sense of doesn't mean it's mythology or something like that. We decide if we are going to interpret something as symbolism or literal based on the context and clues in the text. Like, like we said, you can Google questions about the original language, what the word day means, things like that. We think that the authors usually put some kind of hint in there to, to point one way or the other. Yes, and I just think the main point to me is just to be careful with how we handle these things and how we how we look at this and how much stock we put into if something is literal or symbolic. Uh-huh. And if someone thinks something is literal and we think it's symbolic, that's really nothing to argue about. I know I kind of keep going back to that, but I think that's an important point in all of this. Yeah, I think so too. And also, just because we decide something's symbolism doesn't mean that we think the Bible's just a book of good stories, like Mm -hmm. fables or something, right? Like mythology, that's a different category. We don't see any mythology here. Mm -hmm. Some people do, but personally... That's not where I stand. Even if something is literal and literally happened, it still could be symbolizing something else. Yeah, it's meant to give you a truth. Correct. So I believe that there is a lot of room for both. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, you got anything else to add? No, I don't really have anything else to add. I know that this is an interesting topic and it's it's fun to read through and it's been fun this week kind of reading over Genesis again and and getting to know these stories once again. Sometimes we go about our busy lives and we don't go back to the beginning and that's been it's been a fun little study this week. So, I've kind of enjoyed this topic. Yeah. I really like, you know, studying Genesis. I found it to be an entertaining book. And I think that You've really got to examine the stuff and decide for yourself. Like, what do you think this book says? Is it literal? Is it symbolic? Is, is it mythology? Gather up the data, the evidence, and, and read it. And make your own decision. I think that's something that is really important for everybody to do. And I'm not afraid to tell you to do that. I mean, personally, I think if the Bible is true, then looking at all sides and investigating the data is only going to strengthen your faith. So I think... For me, that was a really important part of my journey. So I would encourage everybody to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask a question. Don't be afraid of your doubts. Just, you know, just don't stop there. Look into it. And I think you'll come out the other side with some more solid answers that that you can stand on. I agree. And don't let it scare you if something doesn't seem to make sense. Well, you know, God is a miraculous God and does miraculous things, and they're not always going to make sense. Don't let that scare you into thinking it's all mythology or mythical. Mm -hmm. I I think he'll give you enough evidence that you can trust him, but that doesn't mean that we have to know absolutely everything. Like, did God make man directly out of dust or not? I don't know. (laughs) If he told me how he did it, like, we're not even there in terms of understanding physics and anything like that, so... I might not know what he's talking about anyways, (laughs) but I love to think about it. It's really, really fascinating. If somebody knows for sure, maybe they should let us know. Maybe they're God. Maybe. (laughs) 
maybe they've been talking to God directly and he told them some secrets. So if you out there know the answers to these questions without a doubt, you can get a hold of us through breweryministries.org. Or I could give them Papa John's phone number because that's what I would do when a girl asked me out and I didn't want to go out with her. <laughs> no, really. If, if you have questions or you want to discuss this stuff, we would love to hear from you. Our website is breweryministries.org. We're also on Facebook, Brewery Ministries. And if you're interested in coming to the church in a brewery launch, that starts March 23rd. Uh, go to our Facebook page or our website, and you can find all the information about the location and the time and everything there. The meetings themselves will be a little bit different. It won't be us talking for an hour. I'll give a 15-minute introduction, and then you take it around your table with your friends from there, and you get to unpack and, and really dive into it, because we hope these meetings are about you. It's not about what I think or you know what any of us think. It, this is your journey and we're really just trying to create a place where you get to investigate. It frees you up to explore, ask questions, and you've got some cool people around you, some friends to do it with. So can't wait. All right. Anything else? No, I don't have anything else. Cool. Well, I'm going to go design a spaceship now. And I'm not. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.